Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. Good morning. To those of you who are here in the sanctuary, to those in the commons, to those of you at home, from wherever you are joining us, welcome. Please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians, one of the epistles of the Apostle Paul. We're going to be in chapter 5 today, starting with verse 16, as we embark on week number 5 of the sermon series, The Fullness of Life, which is really rooted in John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. This is a life that's abundant, that is fruitful, that is victorious, and not just someday in the sweet by and by, but today in the here and now for every single one of God's children. Now, with that in mind, the danger of a series like this is that it will cause us to try harder right? To, to, to grit our teeth, to strive for abundance, determined to be fruitful, resolving that, you know what, this time will be different than all the other times that I've tried really hard and failed. But church, let me tell you that trying harder is not the answer. Trying harder is not the answer. I've been there, done that, and maybe you have too. And if I'm honest, there are still far too many times that I'm still doing it. I fall into that trap of trying harder, of striving but failing and forgetting the truth that Jesus taught us in John 15, 5, a verse that we looked at several weeks ago. He, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Trying harder is not going to work. It's not the answer. Striving is not the path to fullness or abundance. It is only the path to failure. Why? Well, because, as we're going to learn today, there is a foe to our fruitfulness. There's a foe, an enemy an adversary that is stronger than our will. And perhaps immediately you're running to the answer that Satan is our foe and our adversary. to And there's truth to that. But we're talking about a different foe this morning. The foe that we're talking about this morning was even stronger than the mighty will of the Apostle Paul. And I don't know if you know much about Paul, but this guy was strong in his will. Um, for a time, he tried really hard. He was striving for abundance, but he kept failing. He told us so in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Listen to what Paul says. You talk about honest words in the Scripture, transparency, honesty. He says, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Have you been there? This week? This morning? Like so many of us, 
The Apostle Paul, he desperately wanted this life of fullness or abundance. And again, not someday, but right now. He wanted to bear much fruit. So even he tried harder, but found out that he couldn't do it. Why? Because there was a foe to his fruitfulness that was stronger than his will. And until we learn how to to defeat this foe to our fruitfulness, we will be doomed to something less than abundance and fullness of life. Something less than the fruitfulness that is normal Christianity. Something less than what Jesus intends for us to be. And this is where the book of Galatians comes in. It is a book written for those who are trying harder. Because you see, the book of Galatians was written to a group of people who were trying harder, but being defeated in the fight for fruitfulness. In fact, these people in Galatia, they had gone so far as to believe that their salvation was a result of their striving rather than by God's grace. But if that were true, they were in big trouble because like us, their works were often sinful. As they, like Paul, were overcome by the foe to their fruitfulness. And so the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians, which was a letter to the church at Galatia, to correct their thinking on this manner. Their salvation was not by trying harder. It was not by good works. And their fruitfulness would not be by trying harder and not by good works. He wrote to share with them the truth that he learned the hard way that fullness and abundance is not about trying, but about abiding. So, would you please stand with me as I read today's text from Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16. And for those who have the power to do so, a little bit of fresh, cool air would do this preacher really, really well right now. So, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25, says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Would you join me as we pray? Father, open our eyes to truth today. Open our eyes to the realization of our potential by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, God, bring great hope and encouragement to every single person in this place today that though we have tried and failed many, many times, there is hope. 
And there is great potential for us to be all that you have created us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today's text is all about this fight for fruitfulness. And there are two main sections. There is a foe of fruitfulness and there is a friend of fruitfulness. And so let's begin today by talking about the foe of fruitfulness. And let's identify that foe in verses 16 and 17, where it says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So, church, who or what is the foe to our fullness or obedience as it is outlined in this passage of Scripture? It is? It's the flesh. It's the flesh. Now, not flesh as in our physical bodies. This is flesh used in a different sense, but this is flesh as in the sinful nature that we inherited, thanks, Adam and Eve, from our spiritual parents. Does anybody want to deny the existence of the flesh in our lives? The fact that we have a sinful nature from birth. Did you ever stop to consider the fact you don't have to teach a kid to do bad, do you? comes quite naturally, doesn't it? Why is that? Because of the flesh, because of the sinful nature that we inherited from our spiritual parents, Adam and Eve. I think of the, the old hymn, which says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. What's that hymn talking about? That proneness is the flesh. Author Mark Bubeck, he describes it like this. He says, the flesh is a built-in law of failure. Well, that's discouraging, isn't it? A built-in law of failure, making it impossible for natural man to please or serve God. It is a compulsive inner force inherited from man's fall, which expresses itself in general and specific rebellion against God and His righteousness. So, no wonder trying harder is not the answer. We're dealing with a built-in law of failure. Add to that the spiritual adversaries of the world and the devil. Now we have the flesh. We're in a world of hurt. But there's one part of that definition I want to very specifically point out to you. It says, impossible for what kind of man? The natural man. I don't know about you, but with the Holy Spirit living inside of me, I am no longer a natural man. What am I? I'm a supernatural man, right? Again, not because of me, but because of the Holy Spirit. So that is the foe identified, the foe of our fruitfulness. It is the flesh. And then it it is characterized in verses 19 through 21. This is what it looks like when we're defeated by the flesh, as if we really needed to be reminded. But the the Apostle Paul is doing something specific here. He's, He's showing us a contrast between that natural man who lives in defeat and who has these characteristics of the flesh, and then he's going to show us the supernatural man with the Holy Spirit and his characteristics, which are the fruit of the Spirit. So, first of all, this list of characteristics of the flesh in verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I don't believe this is an exhaustive list. I believe it's representative. And we could go in depth with each one of these and talk about them in detail. We're not going to do that, in part because I think they're self-explanatory, and we do know them all too well, but I will say a few things about them in general. And the first thing that I want to say about these characteristics of the flesh in general is, if I get my slides going in the right direction, that the characteristics of the flesh are not only actions, they are also attitudes. They are not only actions, they are also attitudes. And this is confirmed by when Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, right? He would say, you have heard that it was said, and he'd give some kind of action like adultery. But then he would say, but I say to you that someone who lusts in his heart has already committed adultery. And so as we read these, we could kind of puff ourselves up a little bit and say, you know, a lot of these actions I'm not really guilty of, and so I'm, I'm, maybe I'm doing better than I think I am, and um, this flesh monster, maybe it's not that scary after all, but we must not lose sight of the sins of the heart, and there are sins of the heart listed here, things like idolatry. And when we say idolatry, we're not talking about bowing down before a statue, we're talking about things in our hearts that become bigger than God. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. All right? These things come gurgling to the surface of our hearts from time to time, do they not? And can I just share with you for a moment, just by way of example, I think I struggle with envy more than I realize, and especially as a pastor. And what I mean by that is, um, I, I sometimes think about the scenario, if God were to choose to bring revival to the city of Cadillac by the church and the pastor down the street, whatever church that would be, how would I feel about that? Would I be excited for the kingdom? Or would I be like, that was supposed to be through me. That was supposed to be through First Baptist Church. Why do they get to be the catalyst for revival in our community? Why not us? That's envy. And that is evidence of the flesh. That's the natural man, not the supernatural man. And so as you, um, perhaps this week, as you maybe take this, this section and you kind of do some inventory and say, you know what, where, where am I envious? Where am I jealous? Where do I stir up divisions, jealousies? I would just encourage you to be real and to be transparent. At the end of the day, it's the sins of the heart that matter most to God because it is from the heart that flows our outward behavior. The next thing to observe about this list of the characteristics of the flesh is that even the most spiritually mature of us and those who have been walking with Jesus the longest, it'd be interesting to find out who that is in our midst. Like, who's, who's the longest, who's the oldest believer? Not in terms of your chronology of your physical age, but in terms of how long you've been walking with Jesus. Even the most spiritually mature of us are prone to the sins on this list because we still live with the flesh. And we have to battle it every single day. 
until we go to heaven and we are glorified, we will be in the situation of having to battle the flesh every single day, no matter how many years you've walked with Jesus, no matter how old you are, how mature you are. In fact, I might argue that that battle is even more intense the more mature you are because you're more aware and you're more sensitive. That conviction of the Holy Spirit comes all the more quickly. Well, church, the good news this morning is that in spite of all of that, in spite of the fact that there is within the natural man a built-in law of failure, the good news is that there is victory. Look at verse 24 where we find our foe defeated. It says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. See, church, the ultimate answer in overcoming the flesh is its crucifixion. Can't wrestle with it by trying harder because we're going to be overcome. It's more powerful than we are, so the only answer is to kill it, which is exactly what happened at the cross. Prompting the Apostle Paul to write in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That, those words maybe take on a little bit more graphic meaning for us this morning. I've been crucified with Christ. Or as Warren Wearsby says, Christ not only died for me, but I died with Christ. Christ died for me to remove the penalty of my sin, but I died with Christ to break sin's power. I think that's an under-communicated, under-discussed aspect of the cross. The fact that not only did Jesus die for us, but we died with Him. And the key to us living full and abundant and fruitful lives is that crucifixion of the flesh. But that raises the question, okay, if my flesh has been crucified with Christ, then why am I still at war with it, right? Anybody, anybody wonder about that, think about that as I was sharing that? If my flesh has been crucified with Christ, then why am I still at war with it? And the answer is this. There is both a past and a present dimension to the crucifixion of the flesh. It is a historical fact. We were crucified with Christ, but that historical fact must be appropriated in the present each and every day. Romans 6.11, I believe, speaks about this when it says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And some of your translations may say reckon yourselves or count yourselves dead to sin. And the idea is that we must walk in the reality of our potentiality. We must walk in the reality of our potentiality. The flesh was crucified with Jesus in the past. We must live like it in the present. Put another way, the flesh crucified in the past only has as much life and power over us as we give it in the present. And that's why Romans 6 goes on to say, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, 
but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace." We are exhorted in this passage to present ourselves to Jesus and not to sin. There's a contrast here. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. We're exhorted to walk in the reality of our potentiality, the crucifixion of the flesh, but we still need help in doing this. Again, even this, if we try to do it ourselves, it's not going to work. We need help. So, we are given the second portion of the sermon today, the friend of fruitfulness. We've already proven ourselves to be too weak, unable to strive in overcoming the flesh. We need divine power. We need that supernatural man to come to fruition, to help us to walk in the reality of our potentiality. And that's exactly what God has given to us in the friend of fruitfulness, who was identified in verses 16 and 17, where it says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So, the friend of our fruitfulness, the key to it all, as we keep saying every single week, is the Holy Spirit. You say, Chad, this has turned into a series on the Holy Spirit. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. He is the one who enables us to walk in the reality of our potentiality, in the crucifixion of the flesh. You may wonder, why why did God set it up that way? And I'm not sure, but the only answer that I could seem to come up with is that God desperately wants His children to cry out to Him, to depend upon Him, and to commune with Him every single day. And so I think that is why he set it up this way, that yes, the flesh is crucified, but we need to commune with God through the Holy Spirit to be able for that to become reality in our potentiality. So, last week we learned some important things about the Holy Spirit. We learned that he is the spirit of help, and that's what we need right here, right? We need help divine help, supernatural help that goes beyond the natural man to the supernatural man. We need the spirit of truth. He is the spirit of God himself. So we know that that power is divine and it is great. And he is the spirit of witness. So in short, he's everything, everything we need to daily walk in the reality of the crucifixion of the flesh. It's all found in the Holy Spirit. And when we surrender ourselves to him, by his power, he produces through us his very character. His very character. The fruitfulness that we so desperately desire, in contrast to those sinful acts of the flesh that we just read about. So let's look at these characteristics of the Holy Spirit in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Sound good? You want more of that? Yeah. 
Well, I'm not going to say much about the li- this list today because it is the subject matter of the next nine sermons. All right, We're going to take a look at each one of these fruits of the Spirit in detail. But for today, it is enough to see the contrast between them and the acts of the flesh. What a stark difference between the natural man and the flesh and the supernatural man in the Spirit. It's like night and day, isn't it? That's how it's supposed to be. That's how it's supposed to be. Those who have been transformed from death to life, who once were blind, but now they see, from darkness to light, such is to be the stark contrast between the one who is not a believer and the one who is. It is the power of the Holy Spirit alone that can make this possible. And the text tells us how to deploy this power that we might live in the reality of our potentiality. Let's talk about the Spirit deployed. How exactly do we experience this? Verses 16, 18, and 25 give us the answer. First, verse 16 says, But I say, walk. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Here, abiding in the Holy Spirit is described in terms of walking And walking speaks of relationship. I love that. I bring it up probably too much. But that whole idea of Adam and Eve walking with God in the garden, in the cool of the day. Relationship. Fellowship. Communion. And so when we are exhorted to walk with the Spirit, speaking of relationship. You don't don't take a walk with an enemy, do you? No. Amos 3.3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? The implied answer, of course, is no. No, it's, it's, it's friends who walk together. Speaking of relationship. And then verses 25 and 18 give us two important elements of how we are to walk in this relationship with the Holy Spirit. First, verse 25. It says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step. That, to me, speaks of walking at the right pace. Keep in step. Um, Some of you have been going to football games. You've seen halftime shows. You've seen marching bands, right? And what would happen if uh, all the members of the marching band decide that they would walk at their own pace with their own time? Be a train wreck, right? Keep in step, as it must be with a marching band, so it must be with those who walk with the Spirit. We don't lag behind the Spirit. We don't run ahead of the Spirit. And this might be a good time to ask yourself the question, which am I doing right now? Am I being presumptuous and running ahead of the Spirit and just doing my thing and thinking He's going to catch up at some point? God bless my mess. Or... Are you lagging behind? And the Spirit's saying, hey, i got big things for you up here. Would you please step up in obedience and follow me? Walk with me. Keep in step at my pace. Where are you in relationship to walking with the Spirit? Because when we do, when we're walking in step with Him, in fellowship with Him at His pace, we receive the help and the power that we need to be fruitful. The next element of our walking is in verse 18 where it says, but if you are led by the Spirit. 
If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This speaks to me of walking in the right direction, the right direction. If you want to experience the Holy Spirit's help and power, you got to go where He goes. You got to be where He is. You got to follow His lead and allow Him to set the direction of your life. How ridiculous it would be for us to say, Yeah, Holy Spirit, I know you're walking in that direction at that pace, but I'm going over here in this direction at my own pace, but would you help me? You see, when we do that, we're simply on our own, resigned to be the natural man overcome by the flesh. And we know all too well how that goes. But here's kind of the summary statement for the day. When we walk in the Spirit, surrendering ourselves to His pace and His direction, we are positioned to receive all the power we need to be victorious and fruitful. Great news for us today. And again, I hope that lets some of you breathe a deep sigh of relief that it isn't about you trying harder to be good and to do good. No, fullness or abundance is not about trying, it's about abiding. And in this passage, abiding is described in terms of walking with the Spirit. Now, with that in mind, let me just close with this. The next nine weeks of studying the fruit of the Spirit, it's not meant to discourage you. And the reason I say that is because it could. We're going to talk about love next week. And you could walk away just shaking your head and saying, wow, I'm sure falling short there. Can't wait till we get to joy, you know, and just beating ourselves up. Nine weeks of just getting beat up about how I'm not this and I'm not that. It's not meant to discourage you, all right? So please know that from the get-go. Rather... It's meant to encourage you to live in the reality of your potentiality, not by trying harder, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. God has not given us a task designed to simply frustrate us in failure. He has not called us to something that we're just destined to fail in. He has called us to something that only by His power, whereby He is glorified, we are actually able to live in the reality of our potentiality of the abundance and fruitfulness of the normal Christian life. So would you pray with me? God, I pray that all over the sanctuary, all over the commons, all over homes and places where people are listening right now, that there would be just an awesome sense of anticipation, of hope, of encouragement that are many, many failures in the past when we tried to do it ourselves and failed and failed and failed. And maybe we've grown very cynical to the point where we just don't even believe it's possible to live a fruitful life. I pray that that lie would be gone in Jesus' name because accepting that lie would be tantamount to saying that God's word is not true. And we know God's word is true. And so, God, we believe we, by faith, we accept the reality of this truth from your word, and we look forward to seeing how you will transform our natural man to the supernatural man, and you will be glorified in the process. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.